If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, I think I'm going to say that three or four more times, three or four more times. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. So if you haven't been with us, we have been walking through a series on prayer. And now we are in week five um, of that series. And what we've basically been doing is we've been diving really deeply um, into the example that Jesus left for us in Matthew 6, the example that we call the Lord's Prayer. And, and we've just really used that as an anchor text. Like that's the text we've been anchored in, but we use that to go into lots of other prayers that are in Scripture, lots of other passages about prayer in Scripture, and we are definitely going to do that this week. And so if you haven't been with us, we, there's a lot of different def- definitions for prayer, but this is the working definition that we have used. This is what, what prayer is. Prayer is a the kids were in here, they'd probably echo this. They nailed it this morning in the elementary class. A personal conversation with God and a spiritual encounter with God, right? A personal conversation and spiritual encounter with God. And honestly, from the Lord's Prayer, we've already seen that, haven't we? That we start the prayer off. Jesus started off the prayer with our Father in heaven. And that, if you remember, that, that Greek word and the Hebrew word that goes back to the Old Testament is a very personal word, word like a, a, a kid talking to their dad, like a, a, a child talking to their father who loves them. And so it's a very intimate phrase. It's a very close phrase. It's a comforting phrase even as a, as a father is comforting to his children, at least a good father. So when we say a personal conversation, that is exactly what Jesus intended for it to be really personal and really close. Then we also saw it's a spiritual encounter. It's our spirit connecting with God, his Holy Spirit, because what did it say? Hallowed be your name, right? Lift God's, hold God's name in the highest of praise. His name is holy. It said, your kingdom come and your will be done. This is about worshiping God for who he is and asking for his kingdom to come. So it's, a, it's very much a spiritual encounter. In the end, we can sum that up by calling it worship. I don't know if you've always thought about prayer as worship or just kind of talking to God, but prayer is worship. It's one of the most worshipful things that we can do. We can go and we can connect with God personally and spiritually. And so that, that is done through, primarily through prayer. And so this week we're going to see a little bit of shift, because I don't know if you noticed, in the first half of this prayer, it is only God-centered, right? It, it, now, it, it affects us, but it's talking about how hallowed be his name, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will, will be done. It's all about God in the prayer so far. And honestly, I hope that was, has been a reflection in some of your prayers over the last few weeks, that maybe the way that you've prayed has shifted to be like, you know what, I need to focus on God and thanksgiving and worship and praise and think about all the things that God is before because I, I think about me. As I said before, in the end, we're kind of the problem. God is the solution. Let's start with him. But this week we're going to see the prayer, the second half of the prayer shift. And it's going to talk about how we respond to God in prayer. So it's going to very much be about us. Now, in the end, it's still really about God because it's how we respond to Father, how we respond to God in our prayers. But then that takes nothing away from the fact that this very, very clearly today is going to tell us to ask, to talk to God about our needs. And I hope it doesn't only, only reflect that today. I, th- I hope today, in the passage at least, will start to really reflect to you how much God loves you. Because as we talk about how the Bible tells us to ask, and how the Bible communicates that. Maybe some of you haven't read these passages or ever, or ever seen these passages before. But man, do they reflect how much God loves you, how much God loves us. So here's what we're going to do. As we've done through the whole series, I want us to read the whole passage. And as I said before, I want this passage to be like sunk down into your heart. As I say about passage in Scripture, I hope you know what I mean when I say this. I want this to become a part of who you are. Like you know this so well that anytime you need it, it's just there. You don't have, you don't have to go to the Word. Go to the Word. 
right? But you don't have to because it's with you. You know what it says. So we're going to read our whole passage for the series. That's going to be Matthew 6, 5 through 15, and then we'll come back and we'll focus on verse 11 today. So Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So that's our whole passage. Let's go back and read verse 11. This is not going to take very long at all, right? As we were debating this morning, I got, we got six words for our passage today. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but in ancient times, bread really represented you having what you need, right? It was like, do you have your bread, right? It wasn't like it is now, particularly for us in the Western world, right? The fact that we have a ridiculous amount of an abundance of food available to us. Right, this is not normal, really, especially in the ancient world, unless you were really, really wealthy. But now, you know, in our world, it's not even common now to have the kind of abundance of food that we have now in most of the non-Western world in particular. I remember I was reading a history book, because I just, I read history books sometimes for fun. Any of you? No? Um, I do. I love history. Um, particularly, like, Roman history, sometimes World War II history, Cold War history, all of that stuff interests me. And I was reading a, a book that was talking about the Cold War, and during the Cold War, you know, um, between Russia and the United States, um, I should say the USSR, right? Um, Amer uh, Russians were not allowed to come to America, right? No way, they were banned. But there were some pen pals of, of, of a town in America and a town in Russia, and they would, they would exchange information and they would exchange letters. And they wanted to trade. They wanted to come and they wouldn't let them. Well, after a bunch of years, they finally let them like the, the American family went to Russia, and the, the, not family, but some people from the town, and the town representatives from Russia came to America. And when the people from Russia walked into one of our grocery stores, they stopped. They said their mouths hung open, and they said they lied to us. They lied to us. Because in Russia, they were standing in line for food. And they said it was like that in the United States. They couldn't believe the abundance that we had in a grocery store. It's normal to us. But in the rest of the world, especially even in the second most powerful nation in the world at the time, they did not have grocery stores in the abundance that we have. So this is a new thing in the history of the world and even in most of the world right now. Bread represents us having what we need. And for most of the people in the history of the world, that was the struggle to just have enough to get by. So in this passage, when we talk about bread, it really just means bread. Right? It, it's talking about a very physical, tr physical truth that we need certain things to survive. We need food. We need, we need water. We need shelter. And God wants to provide these things for us. And so our Heavenly Father wants to give us what we need, but also it's a reflection of his goodness and that God actually wants us to have pleasure in life. 
Do you ever think about how God giving us our daily bread is him wanting us to experience his pleasure, his goodness? I'll prove it right now. How many of you ever went to a restaurant and you walked into the restaurant and you sat down and you were starving? You know what I'm talking about? You order your food and you're like, oh my gosh, would they just bring the food? Everybody's hangry. Everybody. But what happens when they bring to the table fresh baked bread? It's like one of the best experiences. You put the butter on it and you eat the bread and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Right? Am, am, I, am I wrong? It's one of the best things ever. Or if you have your favorite drink, for me it used to be Dr. Pepper. I gave that up about 20 years ago. But nothing is quite as good as Dr. Pepper was back then. But anyway, it's my tea now and the bread and I get to eat and drink that. There's nothing better than that, right? Not only do we need the bread to survive when we are, feel like we're starving at least, but it's also so good. And so our need for food, our, that need is meant to reflect not only our need for food, but our need for God to provide that food for us. Do you know that's why we fast? You ever thought, why, why do people fast? It's that every time that you get hungry, you turn those hunger pains and remember, man, I'm hungry right now, but what I really need is God. So all day when you're not eating, the, all that hunger, I wish I could eat, you, you pray and you talk to God and you tell him, you are what I really need. This, this feeling that I have is about you, God, because in the end, you are my bread, right? That's why we fast. So this is a very physical truth. And not only that, I don't... I hope you know, like, this is a very real truth even in our church, right? Maybe we live in the West. But, you know, I've had two conversations with two different families in the last two weeks in our church that didn't know if they were going to have enough to get by. They didn't know if they were going to have enough to pay their bills and buy food. And they were praying that God would provide for them, that God would provide their daily bread. And praise God, they prayed, other people prayed, and God came through in both occasions, right? So this might not be a reality for you right now, but there might be a time in your life not too far off. Right now you have an abundance where you might actually need God to provide for you. And listen, we're gonna, you're going to see today God wants to provide for you. Give us today our daily bread. So it's a physical reality. But also, it's very much a spiritual one. Do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life? I think it's a coincidence that that's the phrasing that he, used, that he uses, that when we take communion, it's bread that gives us a reflection of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Because in the end, the bread that we really need is Jesus Christ. Our souls are desperately malnourished. And we need Jesus to make us whole, to make us full, to make us healthy in what we need. If you were here with us last week, we said, the prayer said, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we were talking about the will of God. And we looked in 1 Thessalonians 5. And First Thessalonians 4 and 5, but First Thessalonians 4 said what God really, the will, what his will really is, is your sanctification. That you would become holy, that you would walk in righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Right? And, th- and this is what happens through Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens. God's kingdom comes more and more into our lives and into our souls, into our hearts and transforms us. This is the spiritual reality that we're talking about. That's God's will. By the bread of life, you might be made whole. So although Jesus' prayer in the Lord's Prayer starts off very God-focused, it like gives us our anchor and the, uh, our greatest purpose in prayer is to worship God and seek for his kingdom to come and his will to be, get, be done. The reality is in no way, in no way does that lessen the encouragement. And I'm going to say even the command in Scripture for us to ask of God, to ask of God. And why do we ask of God? So that he might answer Right? The overwhelming truth in Scripture is that we see, you ready for this? Is that God desires to answer your prayer. 
I want you to think about that for a second. Is that how you see God, and is that how you see prayer? Try, try to be honest with yourself. Do you see it as when I pray and I ask of God, he desires to answer my prayers? That's what he desires most, to answer prayers. Do you, do you see it that way? That can be tricky. We're going to talk about that, right? But that's what, that's what Scripture is overwhelmingly communicate, communicating. I'm going to prove it, not by my words, but by Scripture. So, you know, I don't, for those of you that come often, you know, I don't like to do this often, but I'm going to overwhelm you with Scripture today on purpose. Right? I usually stick to a text or two or three because how much can we really remember, right? Not that much. You can't remember 21 texts. I'm not going to give you 21, but I am going to give you 10. And we're going to do eight really fast. So for you note takers, I hope everybody takes notes on this one today. Because what I want you to do is take notes on these passages and then go back and read them. Go back and study them. We have the podcast up. Usually Eric gets it up on Sunday afternoon. You can go back to the sermon and go back and listen for these passages if you miss it right now. But these are the kind of things that you just need to know, that you need to study. So I'm going to list them. I'm going to go through them really, really quickly. But I want you to listen to what God is saying about prayer and asking and our desires and his willingness to answer. So I have them written down on my little printout right here. You ready? Psalm 145, we got it? Psalm 145, 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call on him. That is prayer. He's near to all of us who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills, listen to this, this is an important word. He fulfills the desire. It doesn't say need there. It is about needs. But he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. I love that line. He also hears their cry and saves them. Next one, Proverbs 10, 24. The desire of the righteous will be granted. How do you like that one? Here's the question. Are any of us righteous? Maybe not practically, but in Jesus Christ, Jesus came to take away our sin and make us righteous. So this is not only we are positionally righteous, but those who are seeking to walk in that righteousness. Not perfectly. None of us are perfectly. But if you desire to walk in the righteousness of Christ, listen, he's going to answer your prayers. right? And we'll talk about answers to prayers in a second. Keep going. James 5.16, the prayer of, here it is, a righteous person has great power in its working. I love that one too. It has great power in its working. Next one, John 9.31. John 9.31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And what's God's will? We saw it last week, your sanctification. That you would walk in righteousness. Listen, this is not saying if you're perfect. It's saying, are you seeking God? Are you seeking to walk in holiness? Are you trying to walk in righteousness? Not perfectly, but doing your best. Like God answers the, the power of, a, a, answers with power the prayers of people seeking righteousness and walking in the will of God. First John 5, 13 through 15 says this. Write, the th- write these things to, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the, what's that word? confidence, that's an important word, it's going to come up again, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that have been asked of him. John 3, 21 through 23, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What's Romans 8, 1 say? Those who are in Jesus Christ are no longer condemned. Right? No longer condemned. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we have kept his commandments, meaning walk in righteousness, and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. Here's the main commandment to follow, to walk in righteousness, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded, 
if we love God and we love each other, listen, we're, we're probably moving down the right path. John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name. Again, if you ever wondered why at church we finished prayers with in Jesus' name, it's right here. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When Jesus answers your prayers, it glorifies God. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Last one, John 15, 17. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you, what's that word? Wish. Now, isn't that a loaded word right there? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's amazing what scripture, that's not all of them, right? I've got two more that are going to prove to you that God desires to answer your prayer, but we're going to look at them in this actual sermon. So if, I hope this is overwhelming a little bit, like how much God wants you to ask and how much he wants to answer your prayers. But if you remember, this Lord's Prayer is a part of a greater sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is, he was really just teaching his disciples and then a bunch of people came around and they're like, we want to listen too. So it became this, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. So turn back to Matthew 6. Because we're just going to go a little bit further in Matthew 6. As part of this one sermon, Jesus continues and he talks about prayer and how we come to him. Look at Matthew 6, just later in the chapter, verse 25. Remember, he's just kind of talking through all these things as he's preaching. Matthew 6, 25, we're going to read through the end of this passage. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, meaning they don't plant stuff in the ground, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In fact, stress takes away our life. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and they don't work for anything. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here it is. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is that not exactly what we talked about last week? Seek first the kingdom of God, praying that God's kingdom would come in my heart, in this world, in my life. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Isn't that what we said? God's kingdom come and his will be done. What God wants for you is you to walk in righteousness, in holiness, to be sanctified, to be more like Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. That is talking to God. Seek God in prayer. Through his word, seek him in prayer. And you don't have to stress and worry about these things. One of my buddies who's an urban far farmer and a pastor, this is his life verse. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. This is a reflection of who God is and what he wants. I'm going I'm to cap it all off with the last thing we're going to read from Jesus' sermon. Just a few verses in Matthew 7. Flip over to Matthew 7. I think this sums up exactly God's desire for prayer. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. Matthew 7, 7 says this. First word, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, I don't, that's not a coincidence that he uses bread here, right? That's what he's been talking about in this sermon. If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Exclamation point. Jesus is excited. He's making this point emphatically. How much more does your heavenly Father want to give to you? Listen, we've got to approach God like this. You are a beloved child of God. I say this all the time. I'm saying it again. God does not believe her. God does not put up with you. You are beloved to him. You're a child that gets to cry out and ask of your father who wants to, you to draw closely. And Jesus just said, if even evil people give good gifts to their children, how much more does God want to give to you? Just ask. Just ask. And here, I want to say what we saw in this passage. I want you to ask with confidence. I want you to ask with boldness. As we talked about last week, don't go and be afraid to ask and like hide behind God's will, if it be your will, God, right? Like, like he, he's going to be mad that we asked the wrong thing. Should we pray that God's will would be done? Absolutely. Absolutely we should. But I want you to go through sometime and look at the prayers of Paul. Does Paul I said this last week, I think. Does Paul constantly stop and say, if it, well, if it's your will, God. No, he's walking in righteousness. He's seeking the Lord. He knows what he is doing is the will of the Lord because the, the scripture tells him it's the will of the Lord. So does sometimes Paul's path get changed along the way? Yeah. Does sometimes Paul seem to kind of get it wrong? Yes. But Paul just knows what the will of God is. He knows that he loves God and he just goes. And he's not constantly afraid. Well, what if this is not God's will? Yes, pray for that. Yes, pray for God's will to be done. But do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to pray boldly, to pray confidently, to just ask because your Father desires to give it to you. That's his desire. Now, we can read all of that. Because some of you might be thinking this, so I want to address this. Because this is an understandable thought. that The thought might come, well, God hasn't answered my prayers like that. Have you ever felt that way? God's not answering my prayers. I didn't get the job. My illness illness hasn't got healed. My, my family's sickness hasn't got healed. The person I care for still died. And I prayed against all of those things. Like, that's an understandable thought. Do we, do we get that? Like, God understands that thought. By the way, I've had to deal with two of, those, two of those three things in the last two weeks. We've had families have to deal with another one of those just this week. Like, those, those aren't far off things, are they? I'm so I got an illness. I'm wearing a hat in the sermon today, right, to cover up the screen because I can't look at screens. Like a lot of people are praying that that would get healed. It hadn't got healed yet. So I could be like, well, God didn't answer that prayer. Listen, you know I get that feeling. We all get that feeling, don't we? We all get that thought. Right? It's it's totally it's totally understandable. But let me say this first because I love you, and so I need to hear. I think it's something that we all need to hear, right? Isn't it just unbelievable how quickly we forget all the prayers that God has answered? Over and over, God has answered prayers. Subtle prayers, quiet prayers, loud prayers, obvious prayers. God is constantly, like as one pastor said, one plane goes down and everybody freaks out and asks where God is. 
but they don't thank God for the 99.99997% of planes that stayed up in the air for the last five years. We don't praise God for that. We ask God, what, where were you when the one goes down, right? But we, we get that. Do you know why in the Old Testament, that's why they built Ebenezer's, like piles of rocks, and they would name them? Because every time they walked by the pile of rock, they would be like, oh, remember when God did that thing? Remember when God answered that prayer? Because they'll forget if the pile of rocks is not there, right? If they don't, every time they walk by, be like, praise God. Praise God that he saved us right there. Praise God that he parted that river. Praise God that, right? We so quickly forget because he's not answering the prayer that we want right now. The prayer that we want right now, this month. We think we've got it all figured out because in this month we want this prayer answered. Although God is in all time, everywhere, since the beginning of time and he sees all, right? So, but listen, it's understandable. I get it. I, I have to remind myself of that, that way. It's just in our nature to question. I mean, in Exodus, when he set them free from slavery, how quick did it take them to start complaining after he did like 97 miracles for them in a row? Like within, within a few weeks, they're complaining in the wilderness. It's human nature. It's sin. But secondarily, maybe more importantly, as we briefly discussed before, sometimes God is simply waiting to answer for our good. Sometimes the answer is wait because he loves us. And again, as we talked about last week, sometimes the most loving thing God could possibly do is say no. It's just say no. Maybe because we're, we're desiring the wrong thing. Or maybe simply just because we can't possibly understand all that God is doing and we just have to trust him. You know, there's one example that, that I love because it makes me feel better, not because it's a great example. But in Matthew 20, the mother of James and John, like John who wrote like five books in the New Testament, including the Gospel of John, yeah, his mom, James and John's mom, comes up to Jesus and she says, hey, Jesus, can my two sons, who are two of Jesus' disciples, can they sit at your right hand, your right and left hand in heaven? Like, what a bold ask. Can they sit next to you? Now, she didn't really understand exactly who Jesus was, but she was kind of asking one of two things. If you are God, she's basically asking, one, can they kind of be gods with you? Not, not God like you, but at your right, left hand, and kind of command everyone and kind of be God like you. And if she wasn't going that far, she was at least saying, I know you're the king of kings, and you're going to rule over, so can my sons basically be your number, your number two guys? Ruling all, over all of heaven for all time next to Jesus. Is that not the most bold ask you've ever heard of. And so what's Jesus' response to her? In Jesus 20, 22, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of an understatement, right? She's asking for the wrong thing. What does she want? She wants the best thing for her sons. As parents, can't we at least understand that a little bit? She, she believes Jesus is the Messiah. She wants the best possible thing for her sons. She just went way too far with it, right? She just went way too far. Listen, sometimes in our prayers, we not only miss the will of God, but we just get it, like, just dead wrong. Like, if God answered that prayer, yes, it would just be unloving because it is just wrong. But here, if that, if that bothers you because God tells us to ask and then he'll answer, wait is an answer, no is an answer. But even in that, here's one, some of the most incredible news. I absolutely love this. Maybe you've heard this before. But even in our completely dead wrong requests, God is with us in that. I think we have the passage. I love this passage so much. Romans 8. We got that one over there? Romans 8, 26 and, and 27 says this. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. Well, what is that weakness? It tells us. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. No kidding. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit it, himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Now, some people think that groaning is us groaning as we pray, and some people think that's the Holy Spirit groaning as he intercedes for us. I think it's the Holy Spirit. You decide for yourself. I think it's the Holy Spirit groaning for us to see the will of God, for groaning for us to see what God wants for us, because what God wants for us is always good. It's always the better thing. It's always better than your prayer Always, if you get it wrong. It's always better because God's only good. And so the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Right? Keep going. Intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 27. And he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even when we get it wrong, the Holy Spirit is basically praying for us on our behalf before the Father, praying the right thing. So as he's interceding for us, as we draw closer, he's transforming our hearts to want the wrong thing, for our hearts to be aligned to the right thing. So eventually God can answer that prayer, yes, because we start praying for the thing that God wills us to pray. Even when we are blowing it in prayer, your God is with you so you can still pray confidently. Right? If you're being super selfish, realize you're being super selfish and change your prayer. But if it's not about selfishness, it's not about sin, it's not about you just, just I just want this thing, so I'm going to pray for this thing, and I'm going to kind of demand of God. Like, if it's that, just pray boldly. And a quote from Tim Keller in response to John Calvin, and don't put that quote up, we don't have time for today, but um, basically, there's a long quote, and then Keller says this. In other words, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. If he knew everything he knew. God wants us to ask, and he wants to answer. Maybe most importantly, he wants to align our hearts with his good and perfect will through our relationship with him. Through prayer, because that's what this is, a relationship that transforms us. We just pray humbly and boldly. Those two things can go together. You know that, right? Humbly and boldly. And we trust God to sort it out. We trust him to sort it out. Now, considering we're supposed to ask, and we're supposed to ask boldly, I want to talk briefly about the, the, the different types of asks in Scripture, the kind of different kinds of daily bread that we can request. So there's, there's kind of different categories of prayers. One um, is called intercession, meaning we intercede for other people. Remember when it says we pray for our daily bread, the Lord's Prayer is a corporate prayer. So that means we can ask for what we need or ask what other people need. And so sometimes we intercede for people. And as we already talked about, like look through the New Testament. This is how Paul prays most of the time. He's interceding for other people, particularly in the churches that he started. God, help them to see your will. Right? Help, I, I'm praying that your love would abound more and more. I'm praying you'd walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel. I'm praying that you would walk in the knowledge and the discernment and the wisdom of God. He's constantly praying, listen, for their sanctification. How often do you intercede for people? Not in their sickness, but in the sickness of their spirit so they might walk in holiness and goodness and worthiness in all the things God's called us to. Listen, pray for sickness. Absolutely. Pray for me that I'd be healing. Pray for other people that you know. Pray for Mary. Pray for people in our church that need healing. Yes, amen. Praise God. We ask. We pray. But I think more, we need to pray for people's holiness and not in like a judgmental Christian kind of way. Like, well, they better get more holy. God, you better take care of that. Right, but humbly, because we desire from them to experience the joy of our Heavenly Father and Savior, we pray that they could see who God is and walk in that truth. That's a fantastic prayer. And so is praying for them to be healed, right? So is that. So we intercede for people. That's, Paul's prayers are a beautiful example. There's prayers of supplication. It's like ba That's basically passionate pleading before God. We looked at this in Philippians 4, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but in, in Hebrews 5, 7, it says Jesus prayed this way. Like he prayed to the point of tears, Right? Passionate pleading before 
God, supplication. Jesus is a good example of this. There's prayers of waiting, right? We're praying that God would answer, but we're also praying to God, help me in the waiting. Help this person in their waiting. Help them to wait well as they wait on your answer, believing that you will answer. And listen, this is something we talked about before. There are literally prayers of complaining, and there's prayers of lamentation. I mean, they're just complaining about not understanding the situation and lamenting, complaining, be sorrowful. That's always complaining, lamentation, but it's just sorrowful about, about what everybody that you or someone else is going through. I was going to read it, but we don't have time today. In Psalm 88, if you want to see a great prayer of just like complaining and lamentation, God, where are you? God, why are you doing this? God, why aren't you answering? God, you promised this and I'm not seeing this. God, what are you doing? That's Psalm 88. I just summed it up. You think you can't pray that way? Now, that prayer can be dangerous if that's the only thing you ever pray. But I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Man, it brings just, it's just food for my soul. He says this, lay before God what is in you, not what should be in you. Is that not good? God already knows. If you don't understand and you're, you're upset and you're hurt and you're angry, like even angry at God, don't, don't fake it. Try to worship him, but also just say, God, I am angry. I do not understand. Why are you doing this? Why won't you answer? I look at your promises and they don't feel true. Just talk to your father who wants to hear even those things because he's powerful enough to handle it. And he's your father and he wants to hear those things. That's tough. It's tough. So we have prayers of complaining like in Psalm 88. Now, there's a one, kind of one of my favorite prayers of supplication. Of, of pleading, of being relentless. Listen, God wants you to be relentless. If you're praying over and over and over, don't think that you're like not being faithful. Real quick, turn to Luke 18. I was going to sum this one up, but you got to see this one. Luke 18. This is also in the same chapter where it had the, the tax collector who prayed humbly. But this is the parable of the persistent widow. When you say parable in scripture, that just means story. So Jesus is telling a story. But in the first verse, he tells us exactly why he gave us this parable, this story. In Luke 18, oh, wait a second, because I want us to see this together. It's so good. So informative for how we pray and what we talk to God. I think, I, I think talking to a God in a way that some of it makes some of us nervous. But listen to what this says. And he tells us exactly, Jesus tells us exactly why he's telling the story in verse 1. 18, 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He's saying this is how you always pray, especially when you're at risk of losing heart in your prayers. Right? He says this, verse 2. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Remember, in that time, if you were a widow, you didn't have a husband to fight for you, which was a big deal at that time. Right? Verse 4. For a while he, the king, refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, you hear those words? keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Supplication. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the example Jesus is saying how we ought to pray when we feel like there is a prayer that we need answered and that we want God to answer, pray relentlessly and maybe a little bit kinder way. Beat God down. 
Don't quote me on that one outside of this morning, right? That one gets dangerous, but you got the context so you know what I meant, right? Right? Be relentless in your prayers to God until God answers or till God changes your heart to pray for something different. Because he does that, because he loves you. Now, all that being said, we got to wrap this thing up. So I'm going to give us some guidance on how to pray. I'm just going to spoil something. The last week of this sermon series, we're going to pray together as a church. And I'm gonna, we're going to basically hand out a guide for how you can, you can start praying in the future. Like just, I'm not saying you have to pray exactly like this, but it's meant to give you some of these things that we've been talking about. So if prayer is kind of hard for you and you're kind of restarting your prayer life, like you can kind of have these things. These are the types of things I can pray. These are the types of things I need to be thinking about. These are some passages that I can look over. Right, we're going to have that for you last week. So, but this is kind of an intro into that. So this is, I, I started to talk about this in week two, and this is kind of what we're going to close with. But this is how scripture tells us, particularly when we are asking, right, when we are asking of God, but all prayer, but this is relevant to asking, this is six ways that prayer lists out to pray. And this is not all the things, right? This is some good ones. So if you take notes, get ready. One, we are to pray steadfastly, right? Passionately committed, like it says in Colossians 4, 2, that we are to be steadfast in prayer. Two, diligently. And that can sound like the same as steadfastly, but it's the example left by the persistent widow in Luke 18, right? With, with <laughs> relentlessly, diligently pray. It's also what God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 15, or 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, which we saw last week was the will of God. What's the will of God? For us to pray without ceasing. Pray relentlessly, pray without ceasing, pray what the word is, diligently. Three, pray faithfully. And when I say faithfully, I don't mean diligently. I mean with belief. Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty three 23 through 24, that we are to pray in belief, believing that God will answer, believing that God wants to answer our prayers. We are to pray faithfully, meaning believing God will answer. Four, we're to pray, as we've talked about before, confidently. As Jesus told us in John 9, 31, and many other passages that we looked at today, we're to pray confidently, with confidence. Five, we're to pray humbly, right? We're to pray lowly before God, confidently, right, but, but lowly before our almighty God, like the example that we saw in Luke 18, 13, just after the persistent widow, and the example of the tax collector who humbly came before God, beat his chest, and said, basically, God, forgive me for my sin, a sinner. And Jesus said, that person goes away justified because he, he knows how much he needs God. That's a good prayer. Lastly, we are to pray patiently, to pray patiently. I think we even have this, and we have Psalm 27 over there. Patiently, I love, this one is an encouragement to my soul. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Right? Don't be weak in your prayers while you wait. And let your heart take courage. I mean, faith in who God is. Wait for the Lord. Exclamation point. Wait for the Lord. It's almost shouting, shouting at you because it's so hard to wait. Wait for the Lord. So we pray, six, patiently. So church, I'm just wondering, are, are, you, are you getting this yet? Are you getting, getting how God communicates with you that the the God of all creation, the king of all the universe, wants to hear your gigantic, big, massive asks in your life. And he also wants to hear your everyday, mundane requests. Or just talk to him. You realize, I'm bored. Well, you know what? Let me talk to God. Maybe not the best way to approach prayer, but even if you're bored, you're like, oh man, I haven't prayed today. God wants you to come even when you're bored and talk to him like he's your father and you just want to have a conversation with him. This is what God desires, and he desires to answer your prayers. Will you pray to God like that's true?
Like he actually desires to answer them because he loves you. And even when you don't get the answer right away, the answer you want, that we just work on, look, I'm going to pray faithfully, believing you're going to do what's best, God. But I am praying that this would be true, knowing that he desires to answer, to give you good things, and he longs to be with you. This is what prayer is. And then finally, this is what I want to close with today. We must remember, though, in all of these things, with all of these things, without this, this thing I'm about to say, it's all a waste. You know what that thing is? Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we are just talking, and we don't have the righteousness to come before God, but this is what we celebrate in communion. He has washed away our guilt. He has opened the door to God because of his righteousness. So we get to come to God with absolute confidence because we know God through Christ and we are known. And so we can walk in the confidence of the righteousness of Christ and know and know and know our prayers will be heard and answered. This is why Jesus' name is hallowed above every name on heaven and earth and under the earth because he accomplishes on our behalf because he longs to be with you He knows the Father longs to be with you, and it brings God glory to answer your prayers, whether it feels that way right now or not. It brings him glory to answer your prayers. So church, we're going to ask. I want you to ask of God, and I want you to pray, pray steadfastly and diligently and faithfully and confidently and humbly and patiently. For your Father in heaven is not only waiting to answer, but to lead you into all of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his joy through this relationship you have with him in prayer. So today I'm going to close with a prayer as we do every week in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, you can turn there with me if you want. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give you a minute or two to talk to God about whatever you need to talk to him to God. We've talked about a lot of things today, but we look at these prayers because they're examples to us of how we can pray, how we Examples we can follow so we can pray with confidence. We can never go wrong if we're praying over Scripture and the things Scripture says. So I'm going to pray in Ephesians 1. And this one's short today because I knew I was running long today. So Ephesians 1, 15 through 18 says this. This is a prayer from Paul to his church. Ephesians 1, 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in, in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Church, that you would know. Let's pray.